Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm so glad you have a chance to spend a little time with me this afternoon. I enjoy the nice Chico weather in the summertime and another nice day today. Business Buzz keeps me going. I get bogged down in my regular day job, but coming in here and talking with you and being able to spend a little time Like I say, I try to educate, entertain, and I love to be the devil's advocate, and I love to be a good second opinion. That's my my goal in life. And when I'm helping people in my CPA work, I always try to give them a good overall view of maybe the other side of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. That's one of my main things. But I'm really enjoying today... I've got a lot of great information for you, some real good topics. I've even got a really good lesson for you at the end. If you've been paying attention, I've been giving you some good lessons toward the end of the show, and today at the end is no no different. I'm going to have a real good lesson that I think you can take with you and really help you during the day. Thanks for listening. It's really a pleasure to be able to spend a little time with you in the afternoon and wind down my my busy day from my day job and and uh, get get the brain cells working that's what we're that's what we're trying to do so i thought i might start a new trend here on business buzz cuz i really enjoy this i've always been a fan of quotes i like looking up quotes and i figured well why not start off uh, with a quote of the day that has something to do with the topic that i'm discussing and of course i'm always talking about business I'm usually talking about money, investments, alternative investments, and of course my favorite topic, things they don't tell you, things you won't hear on CNBC and MSNBC and all those NBC type stations. What's the other one? Oh, Bloomberg Business, Fox Business. These are things you won't hear on those stations. I want to start off with today's quote of the day is actually a two-part quote. The first part is an earlier quote. The second part is an end-of-life quote. Our wonderful American that I'm quoting today is none other than Woodrow Wilson. He is the president who was the one who signed the Federal Reserve Act, and he was mainly the president during World War I. His job before being president, I believe, was president of Princeton University, so he was like an academia guy. I don't know that. I'm not a total expert on Woodrow Wilson, but I've heard these quotes often enough that I thought I'd share them with you. So when I talk about, when I talk about The alternative news I've been reading most of my adult life, or at least the last 30 years, so that would be most of my adult life. Let me just give you this quote of the day from Woodrow Wilson. Since I entered politics, I have chiefly had men's views confided confided to me privately. Some of the biggest men in the United States, in the fields of commerce and manufacturing, are afraid of somebody. They know that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive, that they had better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. That's a pretty weird quote from the president of the, from a president of the United States but I thought that was fascinating. I will say that luckily I'm not well connected enough to be afraid of speaking of that because it would be like I know not which of which I speak whatever that however that is said I know not what of which I speak. I have no clue who's actually doing what. I do know that somebody is pulling strings and somebody runs the whole show, and it's not the people that we see on television. Now, the next quote is an end-of-life quote from Woodrow Wilson, and it's disputed whether this was said as one 
particular quote or whether this is a compilation of more than one quote from Woodrow Wilson that's been pieced together. But I'm going to read it as it's been printed. I'm not guaranteeing he said this verbatim because there is some topic on the internet that I looked up that actually says that this may not be a direct quote. It's more of a combination of things put together. But this is his, Woodrow Wilson's end of, toward the end of his life, supposedly a quote. I'm not positive it was said directly, but I'm going to read it anyway, because this is pretty, it's a pretty famous quote. I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is controlled by its system of credit. Our system of credit is concentrated. The growth of the nation, therefore, and all our activities are in the hands of a few men. We have come to be one of the worst ruled, one of the most completely controlled and dominated governments in the civilized world. No longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction and the vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. Well, if if he actually said that, uh, being the guy who approved the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, all I can say is, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> great job. Another great elected official that can be proud of his accomplishments. That's as far as I'll go with that. This first start of the hour and... I'm so glad you're able to spend a little time with me this afternoon. This is about local business, but it's not anything in particular. This just applies to you and your your money, your broker, your retirement account, whatever you might have. This is what I talk about a lot on Business Buzz, and this is what I want to emphasize. I received a pamphlet in the mail from one of my IRA accounts. It's not a large account. It's uh, it's just a kind of a tail end thing that I've got hanging around. And in that IRA is what I preach against. So I thought I would go ahead and bring some of the printout and talk to you about it. It's the prospectus for the Fidelity Government Money Market Fund. Here's the way this works. You might look at your, let's say you have a retirement account with, and we'll just say there's $100,000 in it. And you may tell your broker, you know, I've been listening to Business Buzz and I've been doing my own due diligence because Harold Littlejohn CPA is not a financial planner and he doesn't give financial advice. He just gives you his opinion for entertainment purposes. And he said that I should maybe not be exposed to the high-flying stock market with all of my retirement money, so I think I should move half of my account into cash. That might be something you might say to your broker. Your broker might put your cash section of your retirement account into something just like Fidelity Government Money Market Fund. First of all, Let's just break down the title and figure out what this is. It's a money market fund, which is a special type of mutual fund that keeps the share price at $1 per share. That's called a money market fund. Buying and selling this within your portfolio is not a taxable event. It's like dollars. It's like money. Money market funds have special restrictions. They can't, I don't think they can get too wild with their investments because they have to distribute out money and keep the share value at $1 per share. There's an expression in Wall Street called breaking the buck. And that would be if a money market fund were to go bust, it would not be worth a dollar anymore. And that would be a big confidence killer if the public knew that this could happen. If I'm not mistaken, I read about a fund that broke the buck about 20, 25 years ago. I'm not sure how often that happens. I don't think it happens regularly because these are highly regulated. 
I thought it was very interesting that I've been preaching against leaving this stuff in your IRA, but I do have a small amount in this thing, but it's actually worth having a small amount because I get the prospectus. I'm reading from the prospectus, the date of this prospectus. Well, it's not really a prospectus. A, pers- a prospectus is what they give you when you are thinking about investing and they say, read the prospectus. That's the thing that entices you to buy this fund. This is the quarterly report of the fund that gets mailed to all shareholders. So it's a money market fund. So that's a special type of mutual fund where the price stays at $1 per share. This one's a government money market fund, which means it's going to be investing in government securities and it's Fidelity government money market fund. So it's under the wing of the Fidelity group of funds, which is a huge fund management group. So the Fidelity government money market fund. Now, I I have a point of bringing this up, so I'm just going to review a couple of factoids from this thing. The total assets in this fund... is $106 billion. The fund has liabilities of a little over $2 billion. So what they call the net assets, which is what I'm going to kind of work off of here, the net value of the assets in this fund is $104.5 billion. That's a pretty big fund. I'm not sure how many funds are that big, but being a money market fund, it's not real. Not real exciting. It's just uh, guaranteed to be worth $1 and guaranteed to get you some rate of return. What I'm trying to point out is this. The year ended on this fiscal year is April 30th, 2018. So it just ended a couple months ago. $104 billion of net assets, 106, almost $107 billion of gross assets. But I'll, we'll use 104 for our purposes today. $104 billion of assets. Now, if you had $104 billion, how much do you think you could earn off of that money if you were managing it and or I'll put it this way. Let's say your share of this is only $1,000. You have 1,000 shares of this fund. This fund had earnings of $705 million during this year ended April 30th. That translates to a rate of return. So in other words, if you have $104 billion of assets and those 104 billion earn 0.7 of a billion, which is what 700 million is, that fund net earnings for the year was 0.67%. Well, I decided to double check right now today, what is the bank rate that I could earn on my $1,000 if I junked and got rid of this Fidelity government money market fund and simply put my $1,000 into an insured bank savings account that's uh, guaranteed by the FDIC, which I've talked about before. You can't rely on that for all your money, but you'd probably get your 1000 back if, if you jumped on it soon enough if something happened. It turns out that today you could go to either Barclays Bank or Discover Bank and your savings could earn 1.75% today. No restrictions. You don't have to leave it in for a long time. I'm coming up on our first break. I'll be right back to discuss the ramifications of this gigantic fund that earned 0.67 on its money during the prior 12 months. I think it's interesting when you understand that You may own this fund in your retirement account. Your broker may have earned a commission by moving you into that. But, and this is not financial advice, it's for entertainment purposes only, 
That fund earned 0.67 of a percent return. I'll see you on the other side of the break. This is Harold Littlejohn. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. Rock House Dining and Espresso, now featuring Jammin' for Jesus, a Christian jam night. The first one is Saturday, June 23rd, 5 to 8 p.m. Rock House is located only two miles past the hardware store in Yankee Hill on Highway 70. Originally built in 1937, Rock House has served as a restaurant, tavern, shower house, barbershop, a gas station, and a cafe. Serving yummy and creative vegetarian offerings as well as a fantastic Reuben and French dip sandwich. Yum! Don't forget the awesome iced coffee and fruit smoothies. Rock House is looking forward to hosting more Christian musicians. Enjoy dinner specials every Saturday night at Rock House Dining and Espresso. That's Rock House Dining and Espresso on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill. Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. So glad you can spend part of your afternoon with me. I hope you're enjoying so far what I'm trying to the information I'm trying to share with you. I'm not the world's greatest expert. I'm not a financial planner. I'm just a CPA who likes to help people. What I was talking about before the break was this Fidelity Government Money Market Fund earned a rate of return after all the expenses of 0.67%. If you had $1,000 worth of that, which would be 1,000 shares, because like I said, money market funds are always $1 per share until they go bust, you would have earned the 0.67% return on your $1,000, which is... Well, here's the sad part of that. 1% of $1,000 is $10. For $1,000 for a whole year, you would have earned $6.70. That's pretty sad. If you had have just simply put that $1,000 into an FDIC-insured account today with Barclays or Discover Bank, you could have earned 1.75%. And I'm sure you could even go downtown to U.S. Bank or Wells Fargo and probably earn 0.75 or 1%. That's still more than the 0.67% earned by this $106 billion fund. Some of the other highlights in this fund's income statement for the 12 months, it's the CPA and me just enjoying the review of these numbers. The gross interest it earned was $1.176 billion. The problem is, guess what? The management fee, now these are the managers who earned you 0.67 on your money. The management fee was $240,758,000. Transfer agent fees were $156 million. Distribution and service plan fees were $66 million. Oh, okay, here's my favorite line. Accounting fees and expenses, $2,790,000. Registration fees, $9 million. So when you come up to all of these things, uh, there was $471 million of expenses against the 1176 billion of gross interest 
So the darn fund netted the $705 million that I told you about originally. I don't know about you, but I would be happy earning $240 million for managing a money market government bond fund that returned 0.67 to its shareholders. I could handle that job. I could also handle being the accounting firm that earned $2.8 million, well, $2.79 million accounting for a bunch of interests and bonds and whatnot. The, oh no, the audit expense was $62,000. The accounting was $2 million. To make a long story short, if you've got money in a retirement account handled by a broker, you really need to look at what's in there and take a look at who's making the money and who isn't. Because the way I look at it, and I'm going to look at it, the accounting expense of two point no no the management fee okay the management fee alone is over a third of the entire net income so while all of the shareholders made 700 million total the management fees were 240 million unbelievable I'm not saying these guys are crooked, but I'm saying that's a lot of expense to earn government bond interest. I would imagine the main thing they're doing is making sure they're not throwing their money away on bonds that are never going to be repaid. Uh, The U.S. government so far has never technically defaulted on debt. The problem is with the debt that this country has, what's the difference between a default and a paying off in deflated dollars later. I was looking at a book. I was cleaning out a shelf the other day, and I found a book that was a little, it was like a guidebook of paper money, which I've always been in, kind of interested in. And I looked at a paper, it was a dollar bill, and it was from, I believe, 1862. And then my mind started doing the math. Since 1913, when the Federal Reserve took over the money system of the United States, the dollar has lost 97% of its value. My point is, these days, when you have a dollar bill in your wallet, you can think about what that'll buy. It'll buy about a third of a gallon of gas, almost. It'll buy maybe a small bag of potato chips. It'll buy a couple of rolls of Lifesavers. I'm just trying to think of things that a dollar will buy. In 1862, that $1 bill would have, and I'm just guessing this off the top of my head, I would bet that that would be the equivalent of about $150 to $200. Can you imagine? And then you look at a $10 bill from the 1860s. That $10 bill was probably only owned by wealthy people and it would probably be the equivalent of 1500 to $2,000 of buying power right now. Can you imagine that? In your wallet, if you're a rich guy and you've got a couple hundred bucks, you're actually carrying around, and i got to do the math on this, you're actually carrying around like $30,000 in your wallet, or the equivalent of. In other words, let's say you needed to hire a guy to just say put an addition on your house. Well, if that's a $30,000 job now, that means that in 1860, it would probably be doable with $200. That is the power of wealthy people, especially in the old days when dollars were really worth something. When you hear that a guy's a billionaire now, it really doesn't mean that much. If you had a guy back in the 1800s with $100 million, that's like a trillionaire now when you do the math. What I'm trying to say is that paper money is only as good as the faith people have in it, and it's apparently going down, down, down all the time. When you see things like groceries and meat prices going up, I've noticed that steak dinners now cost more than fish dinners, and I don't know what's going on with beef, but 
I don't buy beef in the store, but I do see it on menus at restaurants. And in the old days, you would have something like, well, in the real old days, fish was inexpensive. I would say 20 years ago, you would notice that a steak dinner would be 10 or $12 and a fish dinner might be $15. Now the fish dinner is 25 or $30, but the steak dinner is like 40. Something's going on with that. And it's, it's definitely inflation, even though, uh, everybody tells you there is no inflation. I've got two more stories and a lesson. I'm really having a good day today. I hope you are too. I'm glad you're here to listen to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. If you ever need a second opinion, you can call me, 895-3353, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. It's a fairly small office, so uh, it may take me a day or so to get back to you, but I will do that. My next topic today is my favorite entrepreneur and I've talked about him before but there's so much cannon fodder with this guy it's just too much fun to read and too much fun not to share yes it's that guy named Elon Musk and it's the company called Tesla and it just keeps uh, having a high high stock price but this article is titled Tesla facing new probe from California regulator as it builds cars in a tent I think I mentioned before that in order to make their quota they promised of 5,000 cars per week, they had to crank up the production really big at the end, so much so that they're not testing the brakes properly. When I come back from the break at the bottom of the hour here, I'm going to fill you in on the latest with what's happening with Tesla's tent in Fremont, California. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, I'll be right back. Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I like you. I like you, my dear. America is falling in love with Mr. Rogers again. Entertainment Weekly raves. It's the movie we need right now. Fred's theology was love your neighbor and love yourself. It was a communication right into their hearts. Mr. Rogers' faith has inspired us all. Thank you for whatever you do to bring joy and faith to our world today. Won't you be my neighbor? Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now in theaters everywhere. My name is Lola Silvestri, and I'm going to be 95 this year. I was very independent. I fell, and I had to have meals on wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. So glad you're here today. I was just talking about the latest from our favorite car company called Tesla. It is, as of today, this is on the 5th of July. The article's on the 5th of July. Cal OSHA has three investigations ongoing at Tesla. Readers may recall that Tesla already had two ongoing OSHA investigations into his business as a result of a detailed and intricate expose performed by Reveal, alleging that the company was underreporting its safety incidents and not doing enough to keep workers safe and the workplace injury-free. The latest probe is OSHA's third concurrent investigation into Elon Musk's production standards. So it goes on to talk about 
According to Jalopnik, Tesla is in the process of going back and forth with the government regarding permitting at the tent, even though some initial building permits have already been approved. Uh, Building permits filed with the city of Fremont show that Tesla has been temporarily approved to use it for up to six months, but for now several features have been deferred. On Wednesday, records show Tesla submitted a revised permit that included electrical and piping, and it received permits for a sprinkler system. Gary West, a Fremont building official, on Tuesday said that his office understands the timeline that some of our businesses are trying to meet with productions, and the city of Fremont makes a valiant effort to accommodate these concerns when we can. As the project designs are submitted to our office for review, some of the beginning designs are approved So the first steps of the construction is allowed by our office to commence. As additional designs are created and submitted to our office for review, the next stage of construction is allowed to continue. So to make a long story short, this is a problem where Tesla was able to produce 5,000 models in one week, but at what cost? And it says, what is the point of meeting the 5,000 per week goal if it must be done in an all-hands-on-deck fashion that is going to burn out employees and bottleneck other parts of the production line. For instance, it's now being reported that that the company's Model S line is 800 cars behind schedule. So I won't beat a dead horse, but everything I've seen about this company leads me to believe that it's built on air and there's so many problems I don't think there's enough rich people to buy this many cars. If they haven't already bought one, how many more want one? And if in the meantime some competitors come up with an all-electric car that can compete with this, uh, why won't people go to a different company? I just don't see where this is a profitable venture in the long run. Uh, I've read enough articles from other analysts, uh, Wall Street analysts. I'm not an analyst. I don't play one on television and this is not financial advice, but it would be interesting to ask your broker if you own own Tesla stock in your retirement account. It maybe have done well through now, but what's going on here? I don't see it as a viable, it just doesn't sound like a viable company for the long run. And maybe I'm being too critical, but I don't think, other than, I think he was one of the original PayPal investors or inventors. I believe ever since his multi-billion dollar sale of PayPal, I'm not sure any of his companies have made a profit since. But if anybody has better information, let me know. I'm I'm always open to a, to new information. I'm not saying I know it all. But from what I've read, I haven't read about too many profitable companies that that guy runs. My next topic today, before we get into our lesson toward the end of the hour, is all about my favorite subject, which is silver. I I think silver is the investment of all time. It's as cheap as it's ever been in real dollar terms. I think everybody should own some along with some gold as a, an insurance policy against, how should I say, lack of confidence in paper money, a la Venezuela. We've talked about that before. This article is actually from November of last year, but it's still very pertinent. It's a man named Theodore Butler, who I've read for quite a long time. Excuse me, I just dropped a piece of a headset onto the mic. I'm back. And this article is called Life Under Manipulation. Now remember, it's been my contention that the only reason silver isn't at all-time highs right now per ounce price is because of illegal manipulation of the paper silver price. That's a double-edged sword because that's what gives you and I the opportunity to buy some ounces of silver for a very cheap price. And I recommend that you do your own due diligence, since this is not financial advice, and look into the fact that silver is very cheap in terms of what silver has historically been over the last, oh, three or 4,000 years. 
I'm just going to read part of this article and then we'll talk about it a little bit. We as individuals have little or no control over the state of markets. All we can do is adapt to market realities. In the case of silver, the reality is that it is in the grip of a price manipulation. History shows that various world governments have often artificially set the price of silver and gold in connection with official monetary policies. However, for the past 35 years, a specific type of price manipulation has existed in silver via futures contract positioning on the Commodities Exchange Incorporated, COMEX. That's called the COMEX. Nothing can be more significant than the fact that silver is manipulated. Whether to participate in a manipulated market is something everyone must decide. To me, the choice is easy. Now, here's the part that's very important to listen to in this article, so listen carefully. Virtually all price manipulations in history have been of the upside variety, which caused prices to be higher than they should have been. Buying an asset priced artificially high is a surefire prescription for eventual financial loss. And that directly relates to the Tesla stock we were just talking about. But because the manipulation in silver is of the rare downside variety, the price of silver is artificially low, thereby guaranteeing eventual profits for those taking advantage of the opportunity. The proof that silver is priced artificially low, creating the investment bargain of the ages, comes from reliable U.S. government data. Weekly reports from the Federal Commodities Regulator the CFTC, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, include detailed information on the number of futures contracts held long and short by various trading groups. Nearly all this trading in COMEX silver and gold is speculative, meaning there is little or no true hedging taking place. In the case of COMEX silver futures, the trading has become overwhelmingly speculative in nature. This paper trading has supplanted and replaced any price input from real-world production and consumption. Total open interest data indicates that there is a 1 billion ounce open commitment in COMEX silver short and long positions, more than annual world production or consumption. No other commodity has a larger real-world equivalent total open interest this high. The long and short position in COMEX silver is so much larger than that of any other futures-traded commodity that it necessarily exerts a force on price more profound than in any other commodity. I'm coming up on that last break. I'm going to finish this discussion of the silver manipulation. This is not financial advice. I'm just sharing an opinion. I'm reading an article somebody else wrote. In my opinion, there have been over a hundred years of manipulation of the silver price downward. There was a few years of a little bit of manipulation upward, and it didn't take long for it to shoot up to $50 in 1980 dollars. The point is, everybody should be buying at least a small amount of physical silver right now. It's the cheapest thing on earth, period, in the last 500 years. I'll be right back on Business Buzz. Stay tuned. I'll be right back after the next break. This is Harold Littlejohn. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. The discredited Southern Poverty Law Center is providing tech firms with left-wing biased information on so-called hate groups. In fact, many Christian nonprofits, including Pacific Justice Institute, are on the hate group list. It is critical that the tech industry realizes that the Southern Poverty Law Center is not a neutral source and that it places people and groups on its hate list who simply have good faith disagreements with the SPLC on policy positions. Even journalists on the left have accused SPLC of now greatly profiting 
from intolerance. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. (laughs) They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Business Buzz. We're here for the final segment. I'm going to continue my discussion of the manipulation of silver downwards, which is good for us and bad for the people who have promised to deliver a billion ounces of silver that don't exist. I'm just going to continue, and I want you to listen to this. The long and short position in COMEX silver is so much larger than that of any other futures-traded commodity that it necessarily exerts a force on price more profound than in any other commodity. Because the positioning in COMEX silver futures is larger than what's going on in the real world, the paper market dictates price to the world of silver production and consumption. This shouldn't be and, in fact, is contrary to U.S. commodity law. However, the CFTC refuses to deal with a market distortion that is the very essence of price manipulation. The entire COMEX net short silver position more than 500 million ounces, is held by just eight traders, most of which are U.S. and foreign banks. This is the one glaring feature in silver that, to this point, has largely escaped notice even by those that regularly follow and comment about the silver market. This is the entire ballgame in silver. The four and eight largest shorts in COMEX silver have never taken a collective loss through decades of trading, even when silver prices rose strongly, such as in 2011, and they experienced large, unrealized losses temporarily. Those large losses always disappeared by the time the short positions were closed out. Whenever it's necessary for them to contain and cap price rallies, the four and eight largest traders... will sell short as many new contracts as required until prices eventually top out and fall. Only then will the four and eight big shorts buy back their short positions, thus compiling a perfect trading record of never taking losses. Please understand that if the bulk of the COMEX silver short position was held by hundreds or thousands of separate traders, there would be no manipulation possible, and I wouldn't contend otherwise. But the COMEX silver short position is held by very few traders and it is that concentration that equals price manipulation. Since there is no obvious explanation why just four and eight large traders would be more heavily short silver than in any other commodity away from seeking to cap and control prices, the most plausible conclusion is that they are protecting and continuing their perfect trading record scam. Something this corrupt cannot continue forever. The markets will ultimately correct this anomaly. Consider the price implications of a final end to the silver manipulation and the dominance of the eight largest shorts on the COMEX. Silver must soar to near unimaginable levels when the manipulation ends. The longer one lives through a manipulation, the end seems further and further away. In reality, the passage of time brings the ending closer every day. In the case of silver, it's also the growing recognition that the concentrated short position on the COMEX has no legitimate reason to exist. That's the, It's a shortened version of his full article that he sends to his subscribers. I'm not a paid subscriber of this man, but I do read his articles when I can. I will go on to go even further than he did at the end of that article. I'll tell you the reason why these 
eight giant banks are bringing the price of silver down. When silver approached $50 in 2011, it was getting to the point where everybody, and I'm talking about, you know, it's it's sort of an insulting term, but it's a term like Joe Sixpack or John Q. Public. John Q. Public was almost to the point of pulling out his last $500 from his savings account and buying silver coins with it. That's how it works. If they had have allowed that silver price to exceed 50 and head towards 100, you would have seen everyone you know buying silver coins and taking money out of the bank. That is my opinion, and I'm not a financial advisor. In my opinion, the reason they do this to the silver price, which is a blessing to us because we can buy some, is to make sure we have confidence in our bank accounts, which have no basis in reality. That's my whole point of this business buzz 90% of the time. I'm trying to tell you the money you think is sitting somewhere is just ones and zeros in a computer program. You don't have anything real. You need to have part of your money in money. In I call it money insurance. That is why they manipulate the price of silver, which is fine with me. I'm not in that big of a hurry. For the final segment on Business Buzz, and I'll tell you one more time, I'm glad you're able to spend a little time with me today. I enjoy being here. I enjoy trying to talk about topics that I'm interested in. Hopefully they interest you also. I saved the last part of my program for my favorite part. Today I've got a transcript, and there's a website if you're interested in this book that i've been talking about lately called a course in miracles you can go to a website called acim.org acim.org the entire book is printable from there you can go to the table of contents pick out what you want to print you can read a few pages at a time that way you don't even have to buy the book i have the book here in my uh, briefcase when i come to the station but i printed out a particular lesson that I particularly like. It's Lesson 79 from the workbook of A Course in Miracles. It's called, Let Me Recognize the Problem So It Can Be Solved. Now I'll just review very quickly before I read this lesson. My point of The Course in Miracles is that the entire lesson of the course is You are not really here. Your mind is making up all these worldly problems to keep you occupied, but your right mind can step back and observe that thinking mind that you have, and it can be in the right place, and it's called the right mind. The problem we have is that we think we're separated from God, and that is our only problem. So the point of this lesson is telling you that you only have one problem. So I'm going to... I'm going to read this lesson, and I hope you enjoy this. It's Lesson 79. Let me recognize the problem so it can be solved. A problem cannot be solved if you do not know what it is. And I'm reading fast because I don't want to run out of time. Even if it is really solved already, you will still have the problem because you will not recognize that it has been solved. This is the situation of the world. The problem of separation, which is really the only problem, has already been solved. Yet the solution is not recognized because the problem is not recognized. Everyone in this world seems to have his own special problems, yet they are all the same and must be recognized as one if the one solution that solves them all is to be accepted. Who can see that a problem has been solved if he thinks the problem is something else? Even if he is given the answer, he cannot see its relevance. That is the position in which you find yourself now. You have the answer, but you are still uncertain about what the problem is. A long series of different problems seems to confront you, and as one is settled, the next one and the next arise. There seems to be no end to them. There is no time in which you feel completely free of problems and at peace. The temptation to regard problems as many is the temptation to keep the problem of separation unsolved. The world seems to present you with a vast number of problems, each requiring a different answer. This perception places you in a position 
in which your problem solving must be inadequate and failure is inevitable. No one could solve all the problems the world appears to hold. They seem to be on so many levels in such varying forms and with such varied content that they confront you with an impossible situation. Dismay and depression are inevitable as you regard them. Some spring up unexpectedly just as you think you have resolved the previous ones. Others remain unsolved under a cloud of denial and rise to haunt you from time to time, only to be hidden again but still unsolved. All this complexity is but a desperate attempt not to recognize the problem and therefore not to let it be resolved. If you could recognize that your only problem is separation, no matter what form it takes, you could accept the answer because you would see its relevance. Perceiving the underlying constancy in all the problems that seem to confront you, you would understand that you have the means to solve them all, and you would use the means because you recognize the problem. In our longer practice periods today, we will ask what the problem is and what is the answer to it. We will not assume that we already know. We will try to free our minds of all the many different kinds of problems we think we have. We will try to realize that we have only one problem which we have failed to recognize. We will ask what it is and wait for the answer. We will be told. Then we will ask for the solution to it, and we will be told. The exercises for today will be successful to the extent to which you do not insist on defining the problem. Perhaps you will not succeed in letting all your preconceived notions go, but that is not necessary. All that is necessary is to entertain some doubt about the reality of your version of what your problems are. You are trying to recognize that you have been given the answer by recognizing the problem so that the problem and the answer can be brought together and you can be at peace. The shorter practice periods for today will not be set by time but by need. You will see many problems today, each one calling for an answer. Our efforts will be directed toward recognizing that there is only one problem and one answer. In this recognition are all problems resolved. In this recognition there is peace. Be not deceived by the form of problems today. Whenever any difficulty seems to rise, tell yourself quickly, let me recognize this problem so it can be solved. Then try to suspend all judgment about what the problem is. If possible, close your eyes for a moment and ask what it is. You will be heard and you will be answered. That is Lesson 79. It's one of my favorites. And I wanted to just elaborate a little bit on how this can help you and how it does help me. Like this thing says, the problems of the world never end. There's unexpected ones. There's big ones. There's small ones. Some are just lingering and they pop back up in your mind now and then. Some pop up unexpectedly. You get one done. You get one supposedly taken care of and another one pops up. Trust me, I can relate to that. I have a desk full of stacks of paper with a lot of clients' work, and it's just the nature of the business. If you're a if you're a tax person, if you have hundreds of tax clients, you're going to get an IRS notice every now and then. You're going to get a error that you made every now and then. You're going to get an error that the client made every now and then. You're even going to get an error that the IRS made every now and then. There are numerous problems every day in everybody's job and in everybody's life. This lesson alone has enabled me to completely, I won't say nullify the effect of problems. It has made the problem so muted that whenever I feel like I have a, quote, problem that comes up, like one of those unexpected ones, I refer to this book and lessons like this in this book, and I would say the word for that would be it mutes the problem. It softens the spike. If you think about your day and you think about the problem parts of the day where there's like a spike in the, in the screen, you know, like when they show a guy in the hospital and his heart stops beating, it goes flatline and he has a spike. I would say that using these lessons and reading this book has made it to where I can 
totally reduce the spike effect of these problems. If I have a big problem come up that I didn't expect, I'm unhappy that I now have it, it bums me out, I simply go to one of these types of lessons from the book. I also go to some things that I have pasted to the monitor of my PC at work. And I read things like change your thoughts and change the world, things like that. And that all, all of these sayings, the things you get in fortune cookies, they're all related to exactly what this book is teaching you. But this book actually guides you by the hand and teaches you how to live this way to reduce your problems. And the point of the, the goal of the book is peace of mind. And that's all it's, that's all it's saying that it's going to give you. And what could be better than that? I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'll be back with another episode of Business Buzz real soon. Have a great afternoon.
KKXX, Paradise, K280GL. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. President Trump appeared at the NATO summit today in Brussels, suggesting that NATO allies commit to spending 4% of their gross domestic product on defense. That's double the current goal of 2% by 2024. Mr. Trump takes issue with the U.S. protecting Germany when he says the European nation is not spending enough on its own defense while making energy deals with Russia. Germany is totally controlled by Russia because they will be getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO, and I don't think it should have happened. And I think we have to talk to Germany about it. On top of that, Germany is just paying a little bit over 1%. Mr. Trump met later with German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who said that Germany makes its own decisions and determines its own policies. The former FBI attorney who shared anti-Trump text messages with a fellow FBI agent did not appear for today's closed-door meeting with lawmakers, despite a subpoena. The attorney representing Lisa Page says she won't agree to the interview.